Also, it's church. Pastor Harvey here. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God here in just a moment. If you're uh, joining us online or on the podcast uh, and you have never been to All Souls Church, we would invite you to come over here in Burbank and join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis as we've been traveling through the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 17 today. And um, we're in a series in Genesis about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith. And we're studying them to study what faith is and also to study how, what it means to walk with God by faith, even in the midst of all kinds of difficulties and problems, our own problems, our own weaknesses, sins, wounds, all of that, and how God walks with us and how God blesses us even when we're falling apart, even when we're making mistakes. And so um, with that, we're going to uh, go to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to be covering today's chapter 17 through 1815. I'm not going to cover every single verse because it's such a large chunk, but I'm going to tell you the story of the parts that we kind of move through. Uh, but for the reading, we're going to read at the beginning of uh, chapter 17. So let's read God's word together. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you I, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings in the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, we, are, we will be confronted with the very human Abraham, the very human Sarah, um, and keep us mindful of our own humanity and limits. But also in this text, you shine forth as beautiful and good and a God of blessing and covenant to your people. And so, Lord, glorify your name. Uh, may we see how beautiful and good you are to your people. And may we be protected from the evil one as we learn and grow in your word. Don't let him snatch your word from our hearts. Let it embed deeply within us that we might grow in faith and in faithfulness to you. And so we pray all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Martin Luther, I always quote Martin Luther, I know, said this. He said, you have as much laughter as you have faith. I love that. I think that might be my number one uh, Martin Luther quote. I found out recently that was my, my kind of my hero who just passed away, Tim Keller. That was his favorite Martin Luther quote as well. You have as much laughter as you have faith. As we look into this text, what we're going to find is we're going to find 
uh, laughter in several different ways. We're going to see the laughter of Abraham. We're going to see the laughter of Sarah. And we're going to see the promise of the child named Isaac, which means laughter. Isaac means laughter. And what this is, is it's, it's God's saying, I'm bringing my joy into this broken world through this child who is to come. And we're going to see in the midst of this how uh, the God's gospel brings joy and brings laughter to his people. And the way that he does it is through a miracle. One way that, that sometimes that we can think about the Christian faith is this, is that Christianity is a tragedy that became a comedy. What I mean by that is it is tragic what has happened to the human race in the fall. And it's tragic to see all that happened throughout the pages of Scripture. And it's tragic to see uh, the brokenness in this world. But a comedy, in the classic sense of comedy, and more the Shakespearean sense of comedy, a comedy is something with a happy ending. <laughs> that yes, there is, there's a lot to go through, but there is a happy ending. And so there is a tragedy in the cross, but there is the comedy of the resurrection that, that is, brings such joy that it brings laughter. Um, G.K. Chesterton, a great philosopher in England, uh, about, you know, a hundred years ago or so, he said, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. I love that. They take themselves lightly. And this is really, uh, to be a person of laughter is to be a person who takes themselves lightly. Anybody who takes themselves too seriously just can't laugh. They can't enjoy. They can't have uplifted spirits. Um, so in order to really walk with God, you need to take yourself lightly. And you need to take God seriously. You need to take yourself lightly and take God seriously. This is what brings joy. This is what brings laughter. All of the problems that we've seen with Abraham through, so far is because he took himself too seriously. He took his situation too seriously, and he did not take God seriously enough. And what the, what the gospel teaches us is that we can take ourselves lightly, that we're flawed and we're broken, but we're deeply loved, and we don't have to get our identity from what we do or how we succeed or our status in life, but we can get our identity from God and his love for us. Now, when I say that, uh, you know, in order to really walk with God, you need to take yourself lightly and take God seriously, of course there will be an ebb and flow to this. What I mean is uh, the, the human life is going to have an ebb and flow. And there are going to be times where no matter what you do, you're going to take yourself way too seriously and you're going to get in bad spots. And then there'll be other times where you'll experience the laughter and joy. So I'm not saying you have to be perfect in this. Of course, there's an ebb and flow to life and there's pain and there's heartache and there's tragedy. Uh, but what the scriptures teach us is this, is that we can laugh. The, the, the pro promised child is called laughter because we can laugh because at the end, at the, it, when, when it's all said and done, God wins and his ways will prevail within the world. And his ways all started with this little family uh, in the Middle East, this Bedouin family that was a few that became hundreds, that probably became possibly even thousands by this period in time. Uh, and this family was a family that was under God's care and direction because this family was the family that God was going to bring blessing to. But the interesting thing about this family is that the father, the leader of this family, his name is Abram, which means uh, father of many. 
and he doesn't have a child. And this is the great wound of his life. And God promises him and his wife a child. And, you know, you have to imagine that even the servants and the people that worked for him kind of chuckled at his name. Like, here's a guy with no kids, and his name is father of many. Um, and what we're going to see in this passage is that God changes his name from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of a multitude of nations, which is even more ridiculous and more hilarious to the people around him. They're going like, this guy doesn't even have any kids. He can't have kids. And yet he's renamed himself to the father of a multitude of nations. Of course, God did the naming, but uh, you know, not all the people necessarily knew that. So what I'm trying to say is this. Uh, waiting on the Lord requires hum- humility and humor. Humility and humor. It's no mistake, the, same, the, the root word of humility is humor. They, they, they are connected. The ideas are connected. So somebody who takes themselves way too seriously is not a humble person. A humble person is somebody who lives with humor and joy and lightness. And that's what we're going to see here in the text. Now, this whole text is about waiting on the Lord. And I said it requires humility and humor. Think of the, some of the things in your life that you have to wait upon the Lord for. Your desires. Maybe it's your desires around your career. You have to wait upon the Lord. Maybe it's a desire around having a family or something to happen with your family. Or maybe, I, I can say for me, there's a lot of desire for our church. And so many of the things that I desire for our church go unfulfilled. So if I'm looking at the circumstance only, I can get really down. But if I can understand that I can take myself lightly, I can take the circumstances lightly because God is there and He's in control. I'm taking Him seriously. So waiting upon the Lord is what this passage is about. Sometimes we're waiting on the Lord for relief from sickness or depression or poverty or some form of abuse or toxic situation we might be in. Sometimes we're waiting upon the Lord to free us from some set of circumstances. Maybe we're single and we want to be married. Maybe we're childless and we want kids. Maybe we're unemployed and we need a job. Maybe uh, we hate our job and we need want another one. Or maybe uh, there's something going on with our kids that is breaking our hearts or our grown-up kids that is breaking our hearts and we want relief from it. We have to wait upon the Lord with humility and not take ourselves too seriously. Um, also suffering. You know, hard decisions, relationship sufferings, health, frustration with what you're going through. And I think ultimately there is within us, whether we know it or not, a longing for the eschaton. Here's what I mean by that. The eschaton is the period of time when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth and everything, you know, heaven comes to earth and everything is as it's supposed to be, the final age and all of that. I think a lot of these longings that we have we're frustrated because they'll never be fulfilled in this life. So our longing is ultimately for Jesus' return and setting up his kingdom. And this has to do with like our frustrations with ourself or others, or maybe the brokenness that we feel about our country or our world, or maybe the continual frustration around evil and suffering. We have to wait upon the Lord until he moves, until he does his thing. And in the meantime, we have to live by faith, trusting that there's coming a day when he's going to bring things to resolution. Well, let's look at Abraham in the midst of his situation. He has been waiting at the point where we pick it up today for almost 23 years from the time that God promised him he would have the promised son, 
who would bring, and the promised son would bring about a family that would bring about a nation that would settle in the land and that would ultimately bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And so he's waiting 23 years for this. And uh, along the way, he thinks that God has abandoned him and he tries to take things into his own hands. And that's where we pick up the story now, because last week he tried to take things into his own hands and have a child with his wife's servant rather than his wife. Uh, instead of the son of the promise, they had a child, but it was not going to be the son of the promise, and it caused all kinds of problems and tensions. So Abraham, even though he's walking with God, he did not, in this situation, trust God, and it led to a disaster. So that's where we pick it up. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, why did God say this? Well, first of all, walk before me and be blameless. Abraham has not been blameless. He keeps trying to take things into his own hands. He's not trusting God. Uh, he, he, he's, God has given him clear direction of what is going to happen and where he's leading him. And Abram continues to say, you're not doing it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this happen. And this is the problem that we all face, that when we're waiting upon the Lord, sometimes we forget to wait. We lose patience. We take ourselves too seriously and we take things into our own hands and we destroy and we mess up everything. Well, God says to him, I'm God Almighty. I'm the one with power. Abram, if anything, I want you to see that you're not able to be faithful to me fully. This is why you have to rely on faith because you can't rely on your faithfulness. Abram keeps messing up. You and I, we keep messing up. We all know this. And if we're going to get our relationship with God from our faithfulness, then there's really no chance unless you're fooling yourself. We have to get our relationship with God from our faith, not our faithfulness. We get our relationship with God by our faith in His faithfulness, not faith in our own faithfulness. Okay, so God says, I'm God Almighty. I'm the one with the power. You can't do this on your own, Abram. You need me. You need my help. You need my direction. You need my leading. Walk before me and be blameless. And then God says this, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I need you to trust me so that I can fulfill my will through you and I will do wonderful things. I will multiply you greatly. The promise is going to come to fulfillment, Abram. You need to trust me. Then look at what Abraham did. Then Abram fell on his face in repentance. He could see that he was not trusting God, that he tried to take things into his own hands. He could see uh, the brokenness of his ways, and he falls on his face in repentance. Repentance is a, a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of actions. And so Abraham repents before God here. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. Even after all of his unfaithfulness, God wants to remind him, I'm not deterred by your unfaithfulness. I am committed to you. And that you need to understand that God is not deterred by your unfaithfulness. He is committed to you. And he is committed to bless you. Even if you do everything you can to ruin your life, he will walk with you and he will bless you and he will lead you and direct you. 
So God says, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. All right, so to reinforce his promise, God says this. Uh, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, father of many. For your name shall be called Abraham, father of a multitude of nations, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. So I want you to hear this. I have made you. Well, it hasn't even happened. The child hasn't even been born. But God knows what is coming. God is in the present. He's in the past. He's in the future. And he knows what is coming. He knows what he's going to do. And so he can speak about something he's going to do in the future as something he's already done. He says, I have already made you a father of a multitude of nations. And then so throughout this, he says several times, and I want you to follow along with it. I have, I will. In other words, God's covenant and God's grace to us and God's commitment to us is based upon him, not upon us. It's based upon his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. We put our faith in his faithfulness. Uh, this is what I mean by taking yourselves lightly and having laughter and faith because you can trust that God is in control. So we can laugh. And this is why the child of the promise Isaac is named laughter. Because uh, when we understand that God is in control and that he loves us with an everlasting love and it's not dependent on our faithfulness but his faithfulness and that we put our faith in him, this causes us to, bring, to, to be lifted with joy and laughter around the son of the promise, not only Isaac, but Jesus, the ultimate son of the promise. So he says this in verse six, I will, there it is again, make you exceedingly fruitful. Not you, Abraham, will make yourself exceedingly fruitful. Not if you do this right, then I will. He says, I just will. This is what we call grace, where God just says, I will. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring the land of your sojournings in the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is one side. God's covenants are one-sided. God's grace is one-sided. He just loves us. It's one-way love. It's not a two-way street. It's not half us and half him. It's all him. Him saying, I will, I will, I will. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of grace. And this is why we can laugh. This is why Martin Luther said, you have as much laughter as you have faith. Well, verse 9, as for you. Okay, so he says, I will, I will. Okay, now, this is what I want from you. He says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout all their generations. Well, how are they going to keep the covenant? This is my covenant, God says, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and and you, he who is eight days old among you, shall be circumcised. Now this is odd. God says, I will, I will. This is what I want from you. Be circumcised. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow for a full-grown man, to be honest. And for the, 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 the whole idea, like, if, if you know, I don't want to, if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Research it. Google it. Put a safe search on when you Google it, though, please. Um, 
It's the cutting away of the foreskin of the male organ. Why did God pick this as the sign of the covenant? Seems kind of odd, right? Well, uh, here's the idea. That every day a Jewish man would be reminded when he goes about his life that he's part of the covenant. He would be marked on his organ that he's part of the covenant. Also, in this society around them, around Israel, uh, there were all these uh, pagan religions that had to do with orgies and prostitutes and these sorts of things. So if a Jewish man were to enter into that, and sometimes they did in unfaithfulness, they would be exposed as somebody who was part of the covenant, somebody who belongs to the Jewish people. And, and so uh, the other piece of it is this, that the nation is to be built through the, the, the having of children and the building up of the nation. And so every time a child is brought into the nation to finally bring about the fulfillment of the promise to bring about Jesus Christ, uh, there is a reminder on the organ of the male that, that God has, is making his covenant. So I know it's odd, but this is what God chose. And in this ancient society, it made a whole lot of sense. And in our society, it might not make so much sense. Um, but the other thing that it is saying is this, that the promised Son of God will come from a nation that is set apart sexually. In other words, the people of God will do sex differently than everybody around them. At this period, a lot of times we think that, you know, like our nation right now is so progressive with all the sexuality talk. No, these nations back then, and even the Roman Empire, Greek, they are, were far more promiscuous than our society is, like 10 times more. So when we talk about like, oh, we need to go back to the good old days. No, the, there wasn't good old days. <laughs> the, the, it's always been broken sexually in society, but God's people are set apart different sexually. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's where sex is supposed to happen. And so there's a reminder for the Jewish male every day of his life that that's what he belongs to. And ultimately, it's to bring about the nation that will bring about the Messiah. Um, also, this uh, covenant of circumcision tells us that the blood of the male will save us and bring us to God. There is, it takes the blood of the male, the ultimate male who is coming. Now, I want you to see this. God says, I will, I will, I will. This is what I want from you, circumcision. He, I want this sign. You're signed. You're marked. So he, he, he doesn't give them a ladder. He gives them a sign. He doesn't say, climb this and I will accept you. He says, take this sign upon you and I will accept you. He, does, he, does, he gives a sign and not weights or measures. He doesn't weigh us out and go, well, you're good. I'll weigh your bath. You're accepted. No. You're marked with my sign because your acceptance is based only upon my grace. Uh, he gives a sign rather than a standard. He doesn't say, here's the standard. If you clear the standard, I will accept you. He says, no, you will never clear the standard. Abraham's life shows that. Your life shows that. My life shows that. <laughs> You'll never clear the standard. So I'm just going to give you a sign that I'm going to keep the covenant. Okay? Now, in the new covenant, our sign is not circumcision. It is baptism. And it's the same kind of idea. The new covenant, in the, uh, it's this idea of like, we have been placed in the sign, the sign of baptism where we're buried with Christ and raised with him. And the idea is this, that we are immersed into the worldwide people of God 
not by what we do, but by what God has done. And we're marked with the sign of baptism as a picture that God has done this for this. In other words, it's a passive reception of salvation rather than an active earning of salvation. The sign of circumcision and baptism is a picture that God does it all and we're marked with this sign. And this sign tells us that we are loved and saved by Him. It's not our faithfulness, it's not our earning, it's not our performance that gets us to God or causes us to have a relationship. It's His grace and we're marked with His sign. And the sign for us is baptism. And so uh, keep in mind, remember your baptism. You have been signed and sealed by the Holy God. And baptism is something you receive. It's not something you do for God. It's something that God gives to you as a picture of what He's done. He's killed you. He's raised you. He's given you holy grace through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. Sarah means princess. Okay? So now she's going to be the princess of the people of God. Now, has she been super faithful up to this point? No. Even in this passage, we're about to see. She's still a mess. But God has chosen her. And God has marked her with His grace. And so she will have the son of laughter that will bring joy to the whole world, even though she has not been perfect. And He renames her. God renames us. We have a name in this world. We have a name according to society, but God renames us according to who He has called us to be. He's called us and saved us by His grace, and this is why we can laugh and rejoice. So God says, uh, verse 16, again, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, and kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. He laughed with joy because God is going to fulfill His promise. Even though 23 years Abraham has been waiting for God to fulfill this promise. I mean, can you imagine? Would you just give up on God after 23 years? Unless God was holding you, I think you would, and so would have Abraham. But after 23 years, he laughs with joy because the promise is coming. It's coming to be fulfilled. And, and he laughs because he knows he hasn't been faithful. He knows there's been ups and downs in his walk with God, and he hasn't always trusted God, but God has stayed faithful to him. And so he laughs with joy in faith in God. Such a beautiful picture of what it means to have faith. So verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? In other words, this is going to be a miracle. Verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Here he goes back to his unbelief, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I already have a son. Ishmael, can we just make him the one blessed one? So he goes from like total faith to like, wait a minute. Why can't we just do it with Ishmael? In other words, even though he's, the son, he's, he's Abraham, he's waffling back and forth. And just remember, when you're waffling back and forth, it's normal because we're broken. We're people in need of grace. This is why God must do it. And he marks us with the sign. The sign is what tells us we are saved. It is not our performance. 
clearly. Verse 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you and I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, the son of laughter. Isaac means laughter. I will establish my covenant with laughter, your son laughter whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, and every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Now that's an act of faith. (laughs) All these men are like, okay, let's do it. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, Like, all right, God is with us. He has a sign for us. Good news. It's all going to happen. Just one thing. (laughs) Can you imagine when Abraham's breaking the news to all the men? They're like, say what? What what did you say? That God wants us to do? I don't think you heard from God, bro. Like, that does not seem right. Uh, But eventually, they all take the sign of the covenant that God makes. Now, check this out. Chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. This is the place where Abram had set up an altar and set up his family and his camp. As he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. It was a hot day and he's looking out his tent and he looks out. And verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So Abram knew that this was God. There was three men. We know that one of the men is God, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and that there's two angels. And we know the other two angels are not, it's not the Trinity because the other two angels are involved in the next story that we'll cover soon. Uh, But God shows up to Abram's house to have a meal. I want you to see there's already been a sign which was circumcision, for us it's baptism, and then it's followed by a meal. For him, it was this meal. For us, it's the meal of communion. So, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Middle Eastern hospitality uh, especially in this period of time, even today, if I've been in parts of the Middle East, is unbelievably wonderful. Like, we have no clue what hospitality is in this culture. So here's Abram being hospitable, and he's being hospitable to God. And all over the scripture, Abram is called, Abraham is called a friend of God. In other words, to be a person of faith is to be a friend of God. So he has God over for a meal with a couple of angels. So, verse 6, And Abraham went quickly to the tent and Sarah and said, Quick, three sihas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took the curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, 
She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, this is interesting. God shows up and says, all right, it's been 23 years. One more. (laughs) One more year. But this time next year, I'm going to come and visit you. And your wife is going to have a son, even in her old age. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be a massive miracle. God is going to do it. Now, so uh, they, they, they sent him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And Sarah, what did she do? She laughed. She laughed to herself, saying, I love this, this is so funny. Sometimes the Bible is hilarious. After I am worn out <laughs> and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She's like, those days are gone. <laughs> we're old people now. You know, like we're not having kids. We hardly even have sex anymore. Like, uh, what are you talking about? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? She laughed. Her, her laughter was a, a mix of like disbelief, maybe a little bit of like disappointment and mocking God. Oh, sure. Now, after 23 years, we're going to have sure. <laughs> but also laughter of like, maybe this is possible. Maybe I will have the child of laughter. Now, verse 14, verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) I love how God responds to her. Like, no, don't lie to me. I already know. Like, I'm God. You're not going to pass this one by. So I want you to see, among this promise, Abraham laughs. Sarah laughs. The child's name will be laughter because this child will bring about the family, that will bring about the nation, that will bring about the Son of God who will bring laughter to the whole world one day when he returns. He'll bring joy to the whole world one day when he returns. And he get, just like there was a meal at this time, this Son of God gives us a meal. And instead of us setting the table like Abraham did for God, God sets the table at this meal. And at this meal, He reminds us. He says, I will, I have, I have done it all. Uh, God makes a unilateral covenant of grace with this meal. In other words, it's all Him. It's not part us, part Him, not bilateral. It is a unilateral covenant of God's grace. And this brings joy and laughter to God's people because one day, God will make it all right through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's already begun it at the resurrection and the cross, and He will finish it at His return. We're waiting. Abraham was waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to return. We have tried to take things into our own hands. We have lapsed in faith and faithfulness. God is not deterred or discouraged 
He is going to continue to pursue you because you are marked by him with baptism and you are sealed with him by the meal of the Lord's Supper. He knows that he, what he is going to do and when he is going to do it. And he knows he will return and make this world right. So until then, let us laugh because God is working his gospel plan. Let's pray. Lord, we lift all this to you and may we be people of joy and laughter in the midst of our waiting because we know that at the end of time, you're going to make it all good. Amen.